This is Art Unbound, a joint production of Portland Art Museum and The Numbers FM. I'm Intisar Bioto, the guest curator for the exhibition Black Artists of Oregon on view September the 9th, 2023 through March 17, 2024. As an artist, my work has been grounded in research on the presence and persistence of Black artists in our region, and this podcast series focuses on these intergenerational voices. In this episode, you'll hear from Adrian Cruz and how she has always expressed herself and cultivated her unique voice through art. Cruz was the first elder, professional Black woman artist I met after I moved to Portland, and she has remained an important figure for me. Well, thank you so much for being here today. This is an excitement. Um, yes. Um, so just starting out, um, could you tell me your name and, and just where you're from? My name is Adrian Cruz. And also, I'm thrilled to be here with you, Intasar, as always. So thank you for inviting me. Um, my name is Adrian Cruz. I'm from Harlem, New York, originally. Uh, lived there my first well, New York, my first 29 years, and then I've been here in Portland forever. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I think we're going to take a kind of circular approach to this today, uh, just kind of threading through like threads. Um, wow. Um, could you just, could we start out talking a little bit about your art practice? Like, how do you describe yourself as an artist? Um, I've come to see myself uh, really as about color and shapes. I mean, color is everything. If I, if I have uh, my palette of colors that I love, I I'm I'm good to go. I don't if it's beads, paint. Um, although I wouldn't claim to be a painter, but uh, fabric, crochet. Um, I just really, really, really love colors. Wow! Wow! Yes. Um, and so kind of once again, taking a circular approach, could you tell me a little bit about like your origins, like where you're from, where your family's from? And um, yeah. Um, well, as I mentioned, I'm from Harlem. I was born in Harlem. Both of my parents were born in Harlem. Um, but their my mom's parents, uh, not at the same time because they met in the States. My mom's entire family is from Jamaica which, you know, is a little bit of the world. Um, and my father's, uh, uh, my father's father is uh, black Puerto Rican and or was, and uh, his mother came up through the South uh, from the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so those are our beginnings. Mm-hmm. I'm second generation New Yorker. So growing up in Harlem and just like your family, um, what was your, what sparked your art practice or your art process or exploration? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Well, one thing when uh, my Harlem, which no longer exists, uh, I grew up in the St. Nicholas Projects and we were right on a hundred and uh, 27th Street on 7th Avenue. And at that time, uh, everything happened on 7th Avenue. So the uh, Caribbean Day Parade went down 7th Avenue. Um, when the Kennedys visited Harlem, they went down 7th Avenue. When Castro came through, he was two blocks up at the Hotel Teresa. Um, Malcolm X was out there on Lenox Avenue. Um and my mom was always creating. She was always uh, either knitting, crocheting, or making things. And she was a person who liked to change the, the living room around in particular a lot. So the walls could be turquoise. Now, mind you, we were in the projects, right? <laughs> the, world, the, the walls could be turquoise. The world walls could be orange, um, the I, I remember her brother coming and reupholstering a chair, and we were tickled by him finding the money and the the decreases of what was there before and it being a bright orange after he was done. Um, and when she, my mom would go for her supplies, I would go with her, and that was about looking at colors. 
Um, so it was just a natural order to see and love colors mm. early on. Also, um, she made a, a a point of having us be aware, my sister and I be aware of uh, Caribbean people and colors. <laughs> my sister hated it. She didn't like going out like a rainbow, but anything that was going to make my mom happy, I was happy to do because she, she was not a happy person. <laughs> so, um, and you know, I loved it. I just, I just loved it. Um, but I would say that's the earliest, uh, with the color reference mm -hmm. and just for a peace of mind, um, I was a very quiet child, so I just like to be off in a corner, you know, coloring or drawing. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't look like anything, but they, you know, gave me peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. How did, um, you know, I think about, you know, being young and receiving information um, in those different ways and just thinking about... Um, the drawing, how did, you know, um, coming from your mom's appreciation of color and kind of like sharing that with you and your sister, how did that um, thread or like river um, come into your own, like, you know, as you're kind of speaking about like drawing, like what were the next steps like into like any identity with color or, or, that was yeah. a major detour. Okay. <laughs> I, I actually would not come to color for myself until years and years later. Like uh, uh, when I was in my first year at uh, School of Visual Arts. Mm -hmm. So when I was 17, 18. Um, and b because as a child, I, I didn't have any clarity mm -hmm. uh, about uh, a creative process and I knew that I wanted to be an artist and recognized that as an art artist mostly because my mom always said an artist could do whatever they wanted hmm. and that sounded like perfect <laughs> <laughs> to me and then she said something about um, abstract art was whatever you wanted so I, I really wanted freedom mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know what that would look like. So uh, I, early age, I went to Catholic school while we were still in the in the projects, and there was no art. We had no art there. Uh, when we moved uptown to the Heights, um, they had these uh, programs in the school. Uh, what would they call it? Major art, major music. I was like, oh, okay, well, I didn't know what they were looking for, but you had to test for it. And it took me two years to figure out what they were looking for. And I don't remember what, how I figured out that they were looking for a particular thing to establish if you had any talent for art. Um, but it took two years for that to happen. And from being in that program, I learned about uh, the schools, the, the art schools in New York, music and art and art and design. I was a terrible student. I was probably the worst student on the planet. Um, so, but I, I tried out for both schools, uh, was rejected by both. Um, but I think because so many students try for more than one school, uh, so say if you you applied for music and art, art and design, performing arts or whatever, and you got into all three, you're only going to pick one, which meant whichever one chose you that you didn't choose, that opened up a slot. And that's how I got to the School of Art and Design. Thank goodness. That that was my saving grace, that those, uh, was it 9th through 12th, no, 10th? Yeah, 10th through 12th grade at uh, art and design was pivotal. Um, the first year they offer you, you know, all types of art mediums. And again, I mentioned that, you know, I was just not a good student. Um, and math in particular was my uh, Achilles heel, still is. Uh, so when we had to choose our major for our 
eleventh uh, uh, and twelfth grade, I was like, well, what which art form doesn't have math in it? <laughs> That's the one I want. Uh, and so I, I I think I originally tried to do theater design, but I was uh, guided to not go in that direction. So I chose uh, ceramics, sculpt slash sculpture, but I'm thinking ceramics. Um, but my wonderful teacher, Mr. Taddy, who I love dearly, my guardian angel, had no parts of ceramics which was very disappointing, but he did, he was a wonderful teacher for sculpture. So I'm, I'm working in stone and wood under his guidance. Um, and through the work that I did, uh, I was able to be accepted to, um, uh, the school of visual arts. Mm -hmm. I got a, I got a free ride for mm -hmm. four year free ride there, which I wasn't able to appreciate how wonderful that was until I saw how many people had to drop out because they couldn't afford mm -hmm. to stay. Uh, but the interesting thing that happened there, um, you know, my first year there, what, not having Mr. Taddy guiding me, saying, do this, do that, whatever, I wasn't clear about what I was supposed to be doing. And then around me, everybody was doing whatever they wanted. And I was used to school being do what you're told. And I was like, these people are doing whatever they want. Like it was, I was outraged having, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, clueless, like, well, Adrian, well, what do you want to do? Oh, okay. Well, I have to, I have to keep this scholarship, right? So I have to stay in the sculpture lane. So, um, what I liked, what, what my mom was always doing, mm. working with colors and uh, crocheting and whatnot. So I started crocheting sculptures. Mm. Hey, anything to say, hey, I'm here, I'm working, I'm not losing my scholarship, mm. I'm, I recognize this, you know, this gift. Uh, but by, by the time I graduated, I was making uh, clothing. So the sculptures crocheted wall. I don't even know what these things were. They were very organic. Uh, I have none of them now, and 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 I would only be curious to see them now so I could laugh. <laughs> uh, but I was, yeah, I, I started making clothing, and then um, so I did tapestry crochet for the next 17 years. Um, and uh, tapestry crochet is... Uh, you know, a lot of changing color to make patterns, and it looks the same on both sides. Um, and that's where the shapes came in. I always loved the colors, but through the crochet, the, the shapes came in. Like, I love, you know, triangles and points and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Mm. Wow. <sighs> That's a that's a, a dippy journey of how you yeah. got there. And yeah. It's so interesting with being young in those moments when things shift. And I'm, I'm curious for myself, going back to when you said it took you a second to figure out what that was, did you say, like major arts or? Yeah, what what did I want to do? Oh, 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 that, you. it seemed like you said it took you a second to figure out what they wanted. So they were yes. looking for something particular to accept people. What was that, you think? Well, you know, that's the problem that I have where, Children in particular are judged in terms of whether or not creative. Uh, briefly, here in Portland, um, I'm jumping way ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked with the TAG program with Portland Public Schools. And part of that is the children are brought in to test them to see if they can be in the TAG program. <sighs> Which brought me back to my own self being a child and loving art or wanting to be recognized as an artist, but not really having anything to say, hey, I'm a good candidate. Mm -hmm. And it was painful for me to see uh, students who clearly love, I'll, I'll never forget, this, there was this one little boy who came in the, the, the room to be tested, you know, a bunch of kids, we have these things for them to do, and afterwards we judged them based on criteria. Well, he didn't really show any talent on, uh, you know, major mm -hmm. with what he did, but his energy and spirit mm -hmm. was screaming um, 
you know, he came in the room. I love art. I love art. And um, they would never let me uh, do a judge thing by myself. There always mm -hmm. had to be another person in there. And I'm not sure if that's because I was black. You know, when you grow up black, you never know, is this me or is this mm -hmm. because I'm black, right? Yep. Um, but and this and this was a white kid. Well, I'm not even talking about a black child here. But the the other woman who was um, doing the judging w gave him a no, hmm. and I was depressed for the longest after because I I couldn't imagine what this child felt like mm -hmm. when he was rejected because I I had that re experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, all children ha should have exposure. Uh, to art, mm -hmm. especially if that's what their spirit is yeah. calling for, you know, it shouldn't yeah. be about well, can you can you draw an eye this way or mm -hmm. can you, whatever. But um, yeah. Well, so but going back to your question, I think for people who did get in that program in that school, I uh, measured, I looked at what they were doing to see how they did it. Mm -hmm. This is afterwards, you know, mm -hmm. not, not during the, uh, like, did they draw an eye a certain way? What, what, what you know, what are you looking mm -hmm. for? And so, you know, I don't remember that in detail, mm -hmm. but I, I remember I had to work at it. Wow. That's something. I'm kind of jumping, too, because, uh, like I said, I think this is going to be circular, not, like, just linear. But... I think why I'm so remain so excited about you and your work and your presence is, you know, uh, being a black woman artist here in the city and kind of coming here when I was 24 and just kind of having my journey. Um, I didn't, I feel like you may have been the first um, black woman of your particular generation um, who was an artist and like working as an artist and like showing in galleries that, that I met. Wow. And, and while I've been able to connect and find out about some others since that time, um, this is all such time travel, like what it took these little moments for you to, for us to be in our craft and what you said about what your, mom said about um that artists have like freedom or there's you know and just about what freedom is and how we're like right. articulating it through our lives and um and just like seeing you offer me more freedom like offer me more expansiveness um wow i don't i don't know if i have a I don't think I have a question from that immediately, but it's just, it's something. <laughs> yeah, you know? it, is. it is. It is. Wow. Um, well, mm. so, okay. So you went to SVA and you were working in the, um, in the tapestry crochet. And how did you, um, or, you know, and I guess you were, were you in Harlem during your, and during your twenties? What was that like? Um, no, um, we moved uptown in, let's see, I think I was 12. And so that took me out of Catholic school and into public school, mm -hmm. which was a totally different world, but that's, that's a whole nother topic. Uh, no, by then, um, I was, yeah, I was uptown and then part of that time I was also living, I lived on the Lower East Side for about six months and then I was back uptown again. Um, and the, at that time was night and day between Harlem, the richness of Harlem and uh, uh, Washington Heights, which now is called the Heights. Now it's, it's the little D Dominican Republic. When, when we first moved there, it was uh, uh, still some... Uh, Greek community. In fact, there's a Greek Orthodox church right across the street from us. Um, a very large Jewish community, Jews, German Jews, and um, uh, some Latin folks. But the Dominican Republic had not moved to hmm. the Heights yet. Now it's like, you know, hmm. dancing the aisles in the supermarket, <laughs> you know, because the merengue is playing all the time. It's great. My children like, Mom, <laughs> you know, but it's music playing. 
Well, that's not what you asked. Anyway. No, that's great. That's great. <laughs> I feel like when I think about you, I do think about music and color and energy. So that's part of it. And so how how did you come to Portland? How did you come to Oregon? Like, what was... Um, that, that's another story. Um, I, my husband and I were living in Brooklyn, in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and we absolutely loved it there. Uh, but the the gentrification was just starting mm-hmm. in that area, and the, our rent kept going up and up and up. And we had this fabulous apartment with two skylights and eight rooms and the pocket doors and the park and the museum and the light. Everything was right there, but who could afford it? So I had been looking and looking and looking, um, not being able to find anything. Real estate, they see me, they'd show me a closet somewhere, literally. Um, but my cousin, Volko, who lives here in Portland, had and he was living in Portland then, uh, came to visit us, um, I want to say the spring of 82, something like that. And he says, oh, you should come out to Portland and, you know, check it out. It's a nice place for new beginnings and this, that, and the other. And I was like, well, where, where is that? You know, <laughs> do they have black people there? <laughs> That's the first question, right, mm-hmm. for any... For New Yorkers in particular, who that New Yorkers will leave the country, but they don't go anywhere in the states. Uh, there's a definite New York snobbery feeling, like, well, we have everything here. Why, why should we go anyplace else? Unless you cross in the water somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that September, my husband and I uh, journeyed out for two weeks, um, and he was Volko was very clever. Especially since he lived, he didn't live in Portland, technically. He lived in boring Oregon. <laughs> you know, look look out the window, and I think there might have been uh, uh, cows or something in the next yard. But, uh, but he took us down to Northern California. He took us to the ocean. We went up to Seattle. Uh, when he took us uh, downtown, oh, for the Saturday market, that day just happened to be the opening of a Haitian restaurant. So there were African dancers and drummers in the street, you know. And I'm like, oh, okay, we could do this. What did we know? We didn't know how unusual that was for, for um, uh, you know, to have that type of black presence down downtown so vibrant like that. The funny thing is when we did decide to move almost everybody that we saw that day, uh, pretty much became part of our extended family mm-hmm. once we moved there. But, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, sky and air, New York is has no sky, you know, has skyscrapers, but good luck seeing the sky. Although where my mom lived uh, in, in the Heights, we we did have, she faces the, uh, the apartment faced the, um, George Washington Bridge. So we had magnificent sunsets every day. But that was about as much sky as we got um, up on the ninth floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we we decided, well, you know what? We can't live really how we would like to live in New York. So let's come out here and get some sky and mm-hmm. ocean and dancing in the street. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. boy. That's wild that, I mean, since then, and you, you told me that story in the past about, and then the people who were there, and just, it's interesting, it was like an arrival celebration, and, and then, Yeah, and, yeah, I, you know what, the ancestors, the spirits, like, let's, they're not going to come out here unless it looks inviting, <laughs> right? So, let's, hey, they're coming, let's stage this for their visit. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that was um, September, and April 12th. 1983. Okay. Wow. Because that was the first new moon of the Aries season. New beginnings. It was a good time for new beginnings. And yeah, my husband, myself, and our dog, Moosey, came came out here. Wow. (sighs) There's so much to talk about. I know we won't get all of it today, but we'll, you know, try to hit some key points. There are a few things you told me about how your work morphed from the crochet and the tapestry to the different things you're doing at at this 
time. Could you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, after 17 years of crocheting that, I mean, and I'm everywhere. If I was, if I went anywhere, I had the crochet hook going and, and my spools of thread and everything. Um, it, yeah, that was my whole life, pretty much. And then um, my first child was born. And I had assumed since I've been doing this, I know how to do it, uh, I could keep doing that. No. <laughs> I mean, you, you spend this time crocheting these intric- intricate patterns with, you know, six yarns or whatever, and then your toddler giggles as she grabs the threads and runs across the room and unravels it all. <laughs> And after that happened a few times, I was like, um, Adrian, this isn't making you happy anymore. I think you need to make some choices here. So I pretty much stopped crocheting, and then um, my second daughter was was born. And by, by then, I, I think I was only making crowns, hats, and, uh, oh, forgetting something. When my daughter was a year old, I bought myself a sewing machine. And that's because when she was first born, people were giving me their, well, not getting, lending me hand-me-downs. Because, you know, infants don't wear out their clothes, cause mm-hmm. they're, right? So uh, they were on loan, and then when I have to give the stuff back, and I, that's when I first shopped for baby clothes and that's how expensive the baby clothes were. It's like, oh no, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm not I mean, I have high standards. I want beautiful colors. Mm-hmm. I you know, I don't want the ordinary. Um and I told myself the only reason why you don't know how to sew Adrian's because you don't have a sewing machine. So my first Mother's Day gift to myself was a sewing machine and I called my good friend, uh my Portland mom Mama Mateo, who lived right up the block, said, hey, I just got a sewing machine. She came, she taught me how to make a simple garment. Now, there's there's another interesting thing here because my mom comes from a family of seamstresses. So why does Adrian not know how to sew? Because the whole thing for me was freedom. And for them, sewing, if a thing was not put together, them meaning my mom and her sisters, uh, who would examine a piece. You, they could look at a garment and they wouldn't say it looked good until they had examined the innards. Like, wow. you know, what do the seams look like? Are the are the are they bound buttonholes? Did they do this, that, and the other? And for me as a child witnessing that was beyond intimidating. Hmm. It's like I don't want anybody <laughs> You know, I just didn't want to be measured that way. Wow. The good thing about it is when I did, when I was crocheting, my, my work was meticulous. My insides looked as good as the outside based on that. But I was terrified of sewing. Hmm. Um, not not just because of uh, the, uh, the craft involved, but also I was afraid to cut fabric. And um, I've never used patterns. I don't know if it's, the, again, the math, the thing or whatever, but pa- I'm puzzled by patterns Mm -hmm. uh yeah i'm sure it's very simple but not not for me um so i I just never did it and then so when my friend showed me how to do a simple garment uh, i started making clothes for my daughter and i think it was another year before i even made something for myself um so now i have two little ones and um i'm making they became my art projects so I was making stuff for them all the all the time and posing them and taking pictures and whatnot. Um, but the the galleries that were that I used to sell my clothing to they they kept asking for work, but I just couldn't get to it. And um, after about six years, I I got tired of hearing my own story. Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't really do that. In my own brain, I'm like, shut up! You need a new story. <laughs> <laughs> so I started take I t- I looked at I said well what what do other career women do when they get back into the force well you go back to school so I checked out the um, Oregon School of Art and Craft 
where I had where I had taught a couple of tapestry crochet classes and um there was a contemporary crochet class and the contemporary is what appealed to me because that sounded like, you know, I had a little freedom. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like hard rule, traditional mm -hmm. quilting. And it again, that that was almost like Mr. Taddy again mm -hmm. in terms of uh, feeding me very well because the way um, Anne did the class, she just, every, every week she just showed us a different technique. Mm -hmm. And so you had uh, a, another tool for your toolbox because um, you learned all these different approaches mm. to working fabric. And um, actually, that would segue to Charlotte mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I was just finished that first year. Uh, I, I think I did two classes with Anne. And then Charlotte, my dear friend Charlotte, asked if I would exhibit with her, because she was doing an exhibit at Greystone Gallery. And I was like, well, I just did, you know, I just took this quilting class, so okay, maybe I could make some quilts. Um, and so to prepare for that exhibit, that was May of 92, I want to say. Uh, I have a, another, I, I've been blessed, I always say I, I had three extra moms. Actually, I had more than that. I have four extra moms, but three Northwest moms. One, one lived up the street, one lived in Seattle, and the other one lived in Yakima, Washington, and that was Rojo Shinda. And yeah, and uh, Rojo's spot was this big, 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 big open space in Yakima, and there was a roundhouse that she, she and her husband built called the African Village. And I, I asked her if we could come up and hang out there to work, Charlotte and I. And so we drove, what was that? I think it's a four-hour drive, and uh, we worked outside. And the back of the house, well, the back of the round, I don't, let's see, which side would that have been? I'm not sure, northwest, whatever. So we would be wherever the sun was, and we would move around with the sun and then come in and work inside. And it was quite magical. It was quite magical. Um, and we had our first exhibit together at the Greystone Gallery on Hawthorne, which no longer exists, um, back in May of 92. Wow, wow. Whoa, whoa. Well, I'm glad we shifted to talking. <laughs> well, not shifted, transitioned to this era in which you knew Charlotte Lewis. Could you tell us a little bit about her, about um, how you would describe her? Her art and yeah. Um, I remember the first time I saw Charlotte. I had let's see, we moved here in April, and and that May, um, there was uh, I don't know if it was the first or the second Black Women's Gathering here in Portland at Matt Dishman, um, and I was like, oh, okay, I could walk there. Uh, I didn't drive then, so any place I could walk to was great. <laughs> Um, and it was this it was this uh, wonderful gathering of black women here in Portland and um yeah I didn't know anyone what, yet and I remember um they were giving awards to particular people and there was award being given to Charlotte Lewis for being a community artist and that was fascinating to me because I had never heard the term community artist before. And I wonder, well, what, what is a community artist? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what does that mean? And so that was the first time I saw her, and that, that was my introduction to her. That actually was, my, again, my introduction to a lot of people who would later become really good friends who I didn't know mm -hmm. yet at all. Um, and as... Uh, yeah, I think Mama Matayo being right up the block from me, she would see me walking my dog uh, to the park, the Irving Park, and she would, she was, hey, come on over, come on over. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that lady I saw at the thing. I, Mama's somebody. I, you know, I couldn't remember her name. And she was so friendly. She just drew me in. Mm -hmm. And through her, um, you know, I I started to become a part of community. Mm -hmm. And 
And then I learned what community art was through Charlotte. Charlotte was amazing. She would, she was um, uh, a constant learner. She read. She was very present about um, uh, the black experience in every sense in the world. Word like present, past, present. You know, Egypt. Um, here in Portland or whatever. She studied, she researched, and this is before internet. Um, and whatever she learned or knew, she worked it into her paintings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if she felt that children should read, she would paint a image of a child reading. Mm-hmm. If she wanted to... Um, promote black love, she would paint a black family mm-hmm. uh, or just love with with uh, couples. So she would paint couples. So she would paint what she wanted people to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and later when it was quilting, then she would actually put stories into it. it was, there would be some writing or information uh, about whatever it was she had learned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say she was a, a, a unique scholar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, amazing. Wow, wow. I So I know, well, so just for context, so Charlotte Lewis was born in 1934. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know that, that she passed in, in August 17, 1999. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and just about her being a scholar. And also, I know you talked to me about how you both taught at the Black Educational Center. And I guess my question is a two part question. One, could you tell me a little bit about you all's work at the Black Educational Center? Um. And then also, what did you, what do you feel that you learned from Charlotte or from, like, knowing her? The the Black edu- black Educational Center was so much fun because mm-hmm. these were little people, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> young, young, sweet people. Um, and we would, um, I don't think, I don't think we were there at the same time. I'm trying to remember if we were both there at the same time. The BEC, that's mm-hmm. what we called it. The BEC, well, those those years were great because I loved, loved, loved working with the, with the the children, the babies. They as soon as they would see us, it was like, Mom, Adrian, Mama, Charlotte, are we going to do art today? Mm-hmm. And that that would just, you know, that would just light up my whole spirit. In fact, if I was having a down day, I would come through there just for that. Mm-hmm. Mama, are we going to do art today? And because you could do anything they were just so appreciative to mm-hmm. to have art um but i don't think that i'm trying to remember i we may have both done sessions at the same time but i think she had hers and i had mine okay. now, if we if mm-hmm. we piggyback i mean if we were there at the same time that's that's not coming through clear right okay. now okay um but it was a great um it, the best part was by working with these children, um, I, I was able to explore and and because I also worked with young audiences, mm-hmm. where you know the schools or programs call you in. So I was able to test things out with the BEC kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, so say if I wanted to make dolls, what do I really need to make dolls? Where where would the the problem areas maybe be? Um, and these are really young children, so what are they able to do? Mm-hmm. And so it was a learning uh, place for me mm-hmm. to then be able to uh, work in other avenues and also whatever I had left over from other places mm-hmm. I could bring back to the BEC kids. Mm-hmm. I, I, I absolutely love working there. And I love what Charlotte did with them. Mm-hmm. Um, she... Uh, she had them um like working with um found objects mm-hmm, mm-hmm. repurposing things uh that's that sort of thing um 
but yeah, those those were definitely sweet years mm-hmm. working working with the BC kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so just for context, uh, the Black Educational Center, I believe it was founded by Joyce Harris and Ron right. Herndon, I think. In- Another brother I never met, so I never remember his name. Okay. Um, but they they were all read college students. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I wasn't there when it started, but I would like to think that they were practicing what they preached. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you know, they're young folks, and they say, hey, we need to— you know, do this for our community, mm-hmm. and they actually created a school and mm-hmm. built it up. And my my children went to the BC. Okay, yeah. wow, wow. Yeah, I don't have the exact year, but I feel like it was started in the early seventies or the seventies, and um, that, yeah. that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I oh, well, you mm-hmm. know what? A little a little funny thing. Um, Joyce Harris and I both went to the same Catholic school in mm-hmm. Harlem. <laughs> Wow. St. Aloysius. Wow. How likely is that? Yeah. Right? Yeah, but I think she was a, a year or two ahead of me, so I didn't know her then. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was a little bit of discovery. Yeah. Yeah, small yeah. world. It is, it is. And even when I, what happened? Yeah, it's interesting, the the Harlem people here, even like I know I know the photographer Richard, Richard Brown. Brown is from Harlem. And we, and we went to the same high school. Although it was a different building and a different name when he went okay. there, because mm-hmm. he's a lot older than me, but um, it was still what became art and design. Uh, I think it was called the School of Industrial Art or something mm-hmm. like that when mm-hmm. he went. Yeah, and right, he's from Harlem also. Yeah, yeah, just that, just that energy. Um, I guess what I'd love to do is, um, and just t- thinking about you know, um, so. So like so, I know you have your public art. Or actually, there was something, there was a there was something you said that that I want to circle back to. You said I'm puzzled by patterns, and that's so wild to me because when I think about you, all I think about is patterns. And oh, you know what? There's a difference. Um, patterns yes. meaning mm-hmm. yeah, like this is how you do whatever. Mm-hmm. So like a crochet pattern. I would be fascinated with my mom looking at. I was like, "How did? How do you understand this? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's symbols or whatever." Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. and then and then there's patterns which are shapes, ge- geometric patterns. Okay, I guess I should be clear about that. When I I think my work is using geometric shapes, whereas a pattern pattern is a plan. Mm-hmm. Of how you do something. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like the wordplay of it all that yes. I, I love, you know, yeah. just when I think of your work, I know there's your, um, I don't know what you call it, your mosaic piece. Is that right? Over at the, inter, wait, Interstate? Yeah, Killingsworth Station. In, in, yes. Yeah. And just these, um, yeah. And even what you said about like, about like freedom. Mm-hmm. I'm just seeing this complex interplay of your definition of patterns that I think is just so exceptional and, um, I don't know, enchanting, really. And even thinking about your, um, just to kind of give some context to also how, how Adrian Cruz has offered their work in the Portland landscape, you know, you know, her work has been out here and being able to identify it, the, um, the building on the corner of Killingsworth and MLK, uh, I believe you did, you did like the mural for that in the nineties and, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that was 98, the Northeast Health Center. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was in, uh, 98. 98. And you know, the funny thing about that, uh, uh, my mentor, uh, Valerie Maynard, kept asking me, don't they have percent for art programs there in Portland? You you know, she always encouraged me to expand. I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I yeah, they do, but uh, I've never applied for anything. Mm-hmm. Cause, and just what having her in my ear that building came up, which was an ugly box. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this big, ugly box. And I used to go to events in that building, and it was depressing. Uh, So when I saw a a, uh, call for artists for that building, I was like, oh, I would love to get my mitts on that. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel ready for it. Um, So I actually applied for it 
really for the exercise of it. Because mm-hmm. I'm 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 not a painter. I'm not a muralist. Um, but what I didn't know, only four other people. No, only four of us total applied for it, and the and they were all muralists, and they were only going to address the north side of the building, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a whole building. You know, the mm-hmm. whole thing needs some love. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got it and went into a total panic because, like, oh, God, now, now what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully, there was such a fuss about the colors that I wanted to do because um, uh, I, di- I didn't even know what the pattern was going to be till maybe a couple of days before I got started because mm. I, I didn't. I I did not know, I did not know that that was, uh, yeah. Angels were with me on mm-hmm. that project, um, for sure. Wow, wow, and I and and I know because you, could you talk about the the person who actually went up into the scaffold, the the like the painter or the or the person who, yes, um, who I worked with, yes, um, um, Johnny Calvert Johnny, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was married to Ruby. Burns, the f- fabulous dancer. Um, yeah, their their daughter was friends with one of my daughters. Okay. And I had stopped by their house to do, I think, drop off something for their daughter or something. And they had just painted their house all these brilliant colors. I was like, wow, who who painted? And I think Ruby looked at me like, well, Johnny did. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I only knew him as a drummer. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that he was, you know, did this type of work. And I was like, oh, I have this project uh, that I just got. Would, would you want to work for me? Because I knew that there was going to be scaffolding, but mm-hmm. I didn't know that they come and dump the stuff on the street and then you have to put it together. <laughs> so thank goodness I had Johnny there with me because he, he just put it together like, you know, Legos. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, and, uh, and then he was going up and down it like, you know, he was on monkey bars. I, it's, it, it was 18 feet up. And each time I went up, I remember every, every single pair, prayer from St. Aloysius, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, Hey, Jen, I didn't know you were religious. I was like, I didn't never expect to be up, you know, 18 feet up. Cause I really would have liked to have the design go higher, but mm-hmm. I didn't even want to stand up there. I think I was always on my knees mm-hmm. on the upper level. But yeah, he I would not have been able to do that project mm-hmm. without him. Wow. He was in, instrumental in uh how that came about and he was also very uh extremely respectful in terms of he knew a whole lot more than I did about the process. Mm-hmm. Um and totally respected me as an artist and he's also an artist, but he totally mm-hmm. respected me as an artist in terms of the um the piece itself, mm-hmm. the the design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. It was just a, it was a wonderful collaboration. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Uh, well, I know we don't have that much more time, but there were um, a few things that, and and honestly, this is me asking question, but also because I just know you. It's like me also. Like, I think. Um, wow. There's a piece. The piece that is currently in the. Um, that was put into the um, the new central courthouse. Oh yeah, yeah and too. and I know that piece. It's it's your work. It's the textile, um, and I believe it's a a photo in there. And is there also a quote that in, on that piece? Oh, okay. Because there's, there's two of them, so I wasn't sure which one you were talking oh, okay. about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the quote was given to me by my mom's very best friend, and she's my second mom. Mm-hmm. Um, she also happens to be James Baldwin's sister. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe the quote is, uh, Trust life, for it will teach you in pain and sorrow all you need to know. Because I told her I wanted to do a piece relating to him, and so she gave me that quote because that's her favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and the photo is of him with their mom, mm-hmm. who I used to be terrified of as a child. <laughs> Only because she fussed at us one Sunday morning because we were playing cards on a Sunday. Yeah. And, and she was just a, a little, she was a, a small woman, but a, a lovely woman. When I got, mm-hmm. when I was older and as an adult, I was like, hey, you really, this sweet lady, you were afraid of her as a kid? <laughs> but I was. 
Wow. Um, but yeah, she was absolutely lovely. And um, as is her daughter, my Auntie Gloria, I love her dearly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, I I wanted to bring that up because because I know there's, um, you know, we're talking about art and your life, but I feel like just from having seen your work and uh, having seen the beauty of your studio, just the inspiration and I feel like there's another thread in your work that's about like intuition and trust and like and the colors and kind of listening. Um, yeah, and I know I have questions, but also statements because, uh, yeah, there's something there, and 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 you know perhaps this is a moment. Could you uh, so, like? So I know that there are several pieces in the exhibit um, and that you brought one today. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about uh, that piece? Uh, Yes. Um, It was created, uh, let's see, we lost so much time with COVID. I don't know what dates are. I was going to say which summer it was, but now I don't remember which summer it was. Uh, 22? Yeah. Summer of 22, in in my yard, um, it was for, oh, goodness, textile, Portland Textile Month, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I had been invited to put something in it, and I was excited to do it because, you know, with COVID, and uh, also I'd been caring for my mom. I really had not been getting much work done, um, and so I'm working on this piece, and trying to, I I wish I could remember now what I thought the name was going to be. And as I'm working on it, it it was talking to me saying, that's not my name. That's not my name. I was like, well, what is your name? Because it's helpful when I'm creating to be clear about what, what it's about, Mm -hmm. you know, what's the intention. Like I could start out saying, okay, I know it wants to be this particular size and I want to use these particular fabrics maybe I don't know what else is going to go in here but what's it about um and unfortunately I don't remember what the working title was originally but it definitely was saying that's not my name I was like well what 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 your name is (laughs) (laughs) what's your name (laughs) um and uh and ritual kept coming up and I, I thought well no, threaded kept coming up, right? Threaded kept coming up, and I'm thinking, well, I'm threading fabric, I'm threading beads, I'm threading mirrors, I'm threading shells, I'm threading sequins, I'm threading all kinds of things. So what what am I threading here? And then and then this the whole meditative um, in and out of the needle that happens with sewing that I absolutely love, and and I I also repurpose. Um, textiles from other countries and as I'm cutting them or uh, reshaping them or whatever I wonder about whose hands were on it before Mm -hmm. and and that process and so ritual came up so threaded ritual so when I think of my work now I think of it when it's you know I'm using needle and thread as threaded rituals that's Mm -hmm. what they all are at this point because you know people ask you well how long did it take you to do the, do the work? Well, it's everything up until now. Mm-hmm. You know, my my entire life up until now. Mm. So, um, and this ritual of needle and thread, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow! Thank you. Um, we may have some more questions about that piece specifically, but I think my last my last two questions um, is you know given you know what you said about how long it took and that it's all of your life until now and your journey, um, you know, with, you know, from your family, you know, in Harlem and then coming here and, you know, uh, in the early eighties and your transitions through your medium and your transitions also through community, um, you know, being a black artist here, you know, um, what do you, you know, from your time here, what it, um, what is it that you hope for 
black artists here or black artists generally or even black community here through art? Well, I, you know what? I'm not sure how to answer that question, but I'll say what comes up for me. I think I've mentioned this before, but I'm, I'm sorry that you never got a chance to meet Charlotte because you remind me of Charlotte in terms of your um, attention to community, uh, attention to sharing what you know, um, your attention to connecting uh, people. And I get very excited about seeing um, your generation um, sharing and giving and being present. Um, and it, it feels like even though you've never met Charlotte, she's alive through you because of what you bring and offer and share um, is very close to what I witnessed with Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. That's an honor. I feel, I think from things you've shared about her and different ones, her spirit is so present here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I, and it's also important to me, uh, to speak about her because that was one of the promises, uh, that we made to her. Cause she, you know, in her last days, she said, don't forget me, don't forget me. And I, mm-hmm. and at the time I'm thinking, who, who can forget you, Charlie, mm-hmm. who can forget? But, but as time went on, I mean, what, we're in 2023, mm-hmm. right? Um, she left in 99 and sometimes I'll mention her and, and the person doesn't know who she is. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is what she was talking mm-hmm. about. So uh, thank you for uh, keeping her present um, and uh, making sure that people know who she is mm-hmm. and what, what she was about. Yeah, thank you, and thank to thank you to different ones like you know like Bobby Folder and and also Richard Brown who shared about her and her works and um, what am I trying to say here is that you know this exhibition is is like truly built on you all's work and foundation and you know I, wow it's endless things. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hi, my last question is, do you, is there anything that has come to mind, you know, that you would want to share that I haven't known to, I haven't known to ask you about anything? Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, Probably, but I don't know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That's all right. Oh, Oh, you know what? Well, this Sort of, but not really. The, there's another public art piece that is quiet that that I did, um, and that's uh, the the pathway for Walk of the Heroines over at Portland State. Mm-hmm. So the uh, what do we call it? The hardscape, not the landscape. The hardscape design with the triangles and points and whatnot. That just popped up in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, something that came up in the public art realm. Mm-hmm. I still have to see that. I have, I'm going to get over there. Yeah, you know, it's low, it's low key for a couple of reasons. One is budget, because uh, what the 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 excitement when we were working on it and the promise of what it could be, mm-hmm. and what it was reduced to are like night and day. Um, but it's still there, and I forget about it myself. Um, but yeah. And it's hard to capture, so I don't really have photographs because you, I guess you kind of need a drone to and, get a good shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's going to happen one way or another because <laughs> we need that documentation. That's yes. important. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I I keep saying this. It's, it's such an honor to be here in this city with you and to have the opportunity to celebrate you. And it's an honor to the museum, to this institution, to the city for you to be here. And I, I truly, I truly um, want for you and also am willing to be a part of you getting everything you deserve. Oh, my goodness. Well, you're doing a great job at that. And everything you said for me, I say for you. Well, thank yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Thank, thank you. you so much. <laughs> <sighs> thank you for listening to this Portland Art Museum podcast. My name is DJ Ambush, the producer of this podcast and the executive director at 96.7 FM, The Numbers, a community-based radio station here in Portland with the focus on representing black culture and music. 
The Numbers FM has been a community partner in residence at the Portland Art Museum since 2020. On the next episode, you'll hear from Rupert Kennard and Melanie Stevens, two different generations of artists inspired by comics and illustration who have used their medium to tell stories of Black queer identities and expansive gender representation. Black Artists of Oregon is sponsored in part by a Museums for America grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services and grants from Meyer Memorial Trust and the Terra Foundation for American Art. For more information about this exhibition, visit us online at portlandartmuseum.org. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you know when that episode is released. We appreciate that you've chosen to listen to this podcast. We would also appreciate it if you took a moment to rate and review this episode. That is if you're using Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Thank you for listening.